Hello, this is Andrea Harkins. Welcome to the Martial Arts Women Podcast. This podcast is devoted to martial art women who make a difference. Today I have four different martial art women all on one show. I thought it would be fun and interesting to get different perspectives all in a single less than hour podcast. And it was so much fun to talk to each of them. I hope you enjoy it and I hope you find it interesting, the different perspectives about being a martial art woman, about how they use martial arts in life, what empowerment means to them, the martial art mindset and more. So let me give you a brief introduction for each of our participants today and then we'll get into the interviews in just a little bit. Debbie Hoplamazian practices Shotokan Karate which focuses on punching, striking, kicking, blocking, and low powerful stances. She volunteers to teach and practice at the Shotokan Karate Club of Maryland, located outside of Baltimore. It's a nonprofit club, which is part of the International Shotokan Karate Federation. She's a fifth degree black belt, a member of some regional martial art teams, and a US Kata team member. She's also written for Shotokan Magazine. Her chief instructor is Sensei Najid Amin, 8th Don, and her mentor is Farid Amin, 7th Don. She teaches kids, women's, and other adult classes, organizes training camps and tournaments. All events are free and all are welcome. She met her husband through karate training when they were just kids, and he's also a 5th Don, like Debbie. They train at the same dojo, but can't train together anymore because they have three young kids ages nine, six, and almost two. So I welcome Debbie to the program today, and I look forward to sharing her interview with you in just a little bit. Grandmaster Susan Sirota is an old friend of mine. We began training back in the 1980s in the Kinney Karate program in St. Petersburg. The program consists of Tang Sudo, Jiu Jitsu, Aikido, and Arnis, and recently celebrated its 50th anniversary in 2019. The program's located in five different recreation centers as well as a new dojo. Susan began training in 1987 and earned her eighth degree black belt in 2015. She presents various seminars and participates in conferences and other teaching events. She was awarded a doctor of philosophy degree in 2015. Susan and I did practice in the same program all those years ago. Back then, she and I were both impressed with the program owner, Soge Michael Kinney, because of his positive reinforcement in teaching, especially teaching children. The program had a family atmosphere, and in fact, there have been more than 110 marriages of students who have gone through the school. Uh, Michael Kinney was her teacher, mentor, and friend. We lost him six years ago and she was very proud and humbled when promoted to Grandmaster through the association Eastern USA International Martial Arts Association. Susan believes that in teaching, you learn the true meaning of the art. She continually tries to learn and refine her physical and mental abilities. Emily Darledge is nearly 47 years old and has been married for almost 24 years. She's the mother of two amazing sons, and she works full-time in customer service for a nonprofit cooperative electric company where she's worked for 18 years. Her martial art journey began 13 years ago with her oldest son, 
While both sons eventually did train in martial arts for a while, both of them ended up quitting. But she found her passion and purpose and stuck with it. Her belt ranking is in a Taekwondo style, and her instructor, Master Donald Gambrell, also taught her and other students parts of other styles, such as Hapkido, Aikido, Krav Maga, and several others for self-defense. Jane Larkin Miser recently earned fourth dawn under the instruction of Grandmaster John Suarez. Her style is a hybrid of different styles, including karate, jiu-jitsu, and others. She's also practiced Aikido and Taekwondo. She's the CEO of America Martial Arts Reme that helps other schools with testing panels, skill sets, and seminars. The organization helps smaller schools flourish and grow. She also helps women find their place in martial arts by finding the right fit for them and helps them to locate a dojo near them that is reputable and safe. I'm friends with Jane on Facebook and I really enjoy her posts about martial arts and about being a martial art woman. So today I welcome these fabulous women and can't wait to share with you their inspiration and their stories. So what do you say? Let's get started with our interviews. Good morning and welcome to the Martial Arts Woman podcast. Today, I have four wonderful guests who are going to share a lot of their stories about being a martial art woman. We have Debbie Hoplamazian, Jane Larkin Miser, Emily Darledge, and Susan Sirota. And I know that the show is going to be really fascinating because of all their different stories and why it's important to be a martial art woman. So we're going to start today with Jane. Jane, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I, I believe you were recently promoted to fourth Don. Is that correct? That That's is correct. Wonderful. Congratulations. Um, thank you very much. And you mentioned in your bio that you're also a CEO of an organization that helps other schools with testing or teaching um, and seminars and self-defense and you help smaller schools flourish and grow. And you help women in the martial arts find the right fit for them by locating a dojo near them. And what I think is similar about you and me is that we both really enjoy helping others succeed. I can see that by, you know, the, some of the things that you've been doing. So I just wanted to thank you for all of your efforts and everything that you're doing in martial arts. Well, thank you. I do what I can. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think the first question that you get is kind of a big one. It's everybody has a different answer. And that's why I find it such an interesting question. And that is, why is being a martial art woman, why is that important to you? Uh, for me, it's to pretty much be a role model for other young ladies. Um, you know, there's so many out there who doesn't uh, know their place in the world or they're in a situation where um, they uh, aren't exactly treated the best. Um, you know, whether it be their life situation, their marital situation or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's important for me to be that role model to help them get out of those situations or to give them more confidence, especially our, our, our younger generation. I mean, they seem to have a lot of self-esteem issues. Um, I know for my daughter, she had self-esteem issues. And um, we had tried everything. We 
we joined the softball team, we joined the soccer team, we joined uh, archery, and um, she just still wasn't getting what she wanted out of it. So when we, I decided that, hey, look, um, let's try martial arts. You know, we'll put you in a Taekwondo class, see how you feel about that. Um, she went all the way up and got her black belt and, um, you know, and she grew from there and uh, her confidence built. She was no longer that little girl that put her head down when somebody was talking to her and was very shy and introverted. So now she's more confident with herself and um, to be a role model for young ladies uh, to find themselves and to know that they do have a place in this world and that they are worth something uh, and not to be bullied. Uh, to me, that's, that's a great achievement. Yeah, that's really great. I think it's so important for us to be role models, especially for the young girls who are looking for their place in the world and not sure where to go. You also touched on another kind of key point that I've brought up in some of my um, podcasts or my my blog in the past, and that is that sometimes martial arts is considered the last resort. It's unfortunate that mm-hmm. that people go through looking for other sports for the kids and don't consider martial arts until they've run the gamut of all those other things. So uh, I'm hoping someday that, you know, martial arts will be one of the chosen sports, if you want to call it that, a sport uh, from the beginning. So that was kind of an interesting point. Correct. But absolutely, I, I agree with you. And I know that uh, you are definitely helping martial art women by being that role model. You're on social media now. You're doing a lot of um, outreach on social media and, and posting different things that are valuable. So um, great job. Thank you. So now we're going to talk to Debbie. Uh, Debbie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Good, Good morning. morning. So I know you sent me a funny little anecdote, and so I understand some of your friends refer to you as the East Coast mom. What is that all about? Yeah, I um, it was it's um, I guess I've had that nickname for about five years now. Um, The kind of the regional mom. Um, I'm often found either at tournaments or seminars or really just in my own dojo, making sure that everyone is comfortable. Um, Specifically for tournaments, I'm making sure everyone is where they need to be. If their name is called, I'm running across the floor, making sure they know they're on deck or, you know, helping them tie their their red belts if they're red side for the tournament. Um, I don't know. I think that's just a part of who I am. Yeah. And uh, where they need to sort of miss their opportunity, um, you know, specifically in a tournament or at a seminar. I think um, I've definitely had mothering capabilities in my teaching in the past as well. And I bet a lot of women who teach kids are in some way that way. Um, And you're a fifth degree black belt and a member of the U.S. Kata team uh, member and also also apparently a writer. Um, so you've published some yes. articles in Shotokan magazine and you train with your husband and have three young sons, which, you know, I have three sons as well and, and a daughter, but, um, my, yeah. mine are a little older than yours. Um, anyway, I'm sure in your life and in your training, you've had times when you needed to use what I refer to as a martial art mindset, which is something different to everyone. 
But how do you use a martial art mindset in your life? It's a really good uh, question. And actually, I kind of have two ways to answer it. Um, but first, when uh, basically I've been training since I was seven years old. And um, so almost 30 years now. And um, I think one of the greatest things that martial arts uh, brought to me is just a general awareness of my surroundings. So uh, out and about, it's really just kind of taking everything in, um, noticing the people, noticing the situation, um, the traffic, and it, that can be a good or a bad situation. I, I like to think that training in martial arts sort of gives us this sixth sense of being able to like feel um, the atmosphere or the environment of where we're going. So whether it be you're walking into a convenience store and things just feel a little funny or they feel a little tense and Sometimes you can't even put your finger on the feeling of a room, but you know that you don't want to be there. You know, just something feels a little off. And I've always attributed that to my martial arts training. And, um, and I think also just being aware, like looking where I'm going and not being, you know, today you see a lot of people really absorbed in their phones when they're walking or out and so obviously look where you're going for many reasons. Um, but it's just for basic self-defense. I mean, you look more like a victim if you're um, in your phone, not um, being aware of your surroundings. So um, that's the one way that I think really the way I live my life is being aware of everything. But also, mm -hmm. um, especially now, the, the what I think about too is martial arts really um, pushes karate players or martial arts practitioners to persevere and endeavor um you know especially right now during this time of um, quarantine and you know it's really easy to sort of stop training stop exercising or stop being positive but my experience with training is as soon as you feel you just you just keep going right and you just mm -hmm. keep trying to throw 10 more punches or throw 10 more kicks and you know you'll kind of get there so that's really what i've been relying on right now during this time of quarantine um just just keep pushing myself to keep going yeah. so I, I think that's really important um we're going to move on to Emily. Welcome, Emily. You've been married almost 24 years and have two sons. Yes. Uh, you work for a nonprofit cooperative electric company for 18 years. What you probably don't know about me is that I also work for a power company. Um, I did not know that. Yes, yes. Wow. Um, so we'll talk about that sometime. But yes. you're a perfect example, really, of a mom, a career woman, and a woman who chooses to practice martial arts. So what would you say to a woman who's interested in learning a martial art? You know, there's so much that I think we could say. Um, but to me, I just keep thinking there's so many reasons that you could learn an art and so many excuses not to. And mm -hmm. would you rather be a person of reason or a person of excuses? And, you know, prior to martial arts, I tended to be that person of excuses. Um, but it really changed my mindset, um, how I look at life in general, as well as martial arts. So um, I said, go for it. You only live once. Um, mm -hmm. And I think for women, especially, the hardest part is crossing into the dojo, into the school, crossing that line onto the floor. As women, we tend to care what we look like. We tend to think we don't want to look like a fool. 
Um, you know, I think that's very mm-hmm. hard on us emotionally. Um, so I feel like if I can share my first class story mm-hmm. and I, and show that I overcame it and stuck with it, then anybody can do this. Yeah. My first night classes always started at seven o'clock, except on Tuesday nights, they started at six thirty. I didn't realize they started 30 minutes early. So I walked in 30 minutes late. <laughs> my, my first kick I threw in, it was a class full of black belts. I was one of the few lower belts, you yeah. know, so I'm walking in brand new. My first kick I threw to the bag were on industrial carpet. My foot slipped and I landed on my hind end. So, yeah. <laughs> so that was, I mean, that was, you know, within the first 15 minutes of my first class, I was late. I was embarrassed. Yeah. I was rushing. And then I fell and I thought, oh boy, you know, I don't know about this. Mm -hmm. And the martial arts family is such a wonderful family. Everyone there just said, oh, we've all done it. Now, whether they had or not, I don't know. Come to find out some had, some hadn't. But, um, you know, they they welcome you. They don't make fun of you. They lift you up. Um, And I think that we all need that in our lives. So being a part of martial arts, being a part of something bigger um, as a family, as an organization, it, it empowers you to realize you can overcome those obstacles. It gives you confidence. Um, it helps you take control of your health, your mindset. There's just so many benefits. So I can't think of a reason why you would not mm-hmm. do martial arts. Right. I think, I think women have that fear of, of expectation, kind of what you're talking about. They think, well, I have to know how to do all this stuff the, the day I walk into the class. You know, right. no, I always say it's like learning a language. You just you have to learn the little steps, the little things first, and nobody's going to make you do something outrageous and you're, when you begin. Um, so it's a fear factor for a lot of women of not knowing what to expect. Just give it a try. You know, try that first class. No matter what happens there, you, you can move forward from it. Exactly. So. Go back again. Yes. Well, thank you. That was a great story. Thank you. So now we're on to Susan. Hi, Susan. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Andrea. Um, We have, I mean, we go way back. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes, we do. We both practiced at Kinney Karate, uh, which is where I began in the 1980s. And I think we began about a year apart or something like that. But I mean, it's it was a long time ago, I think. And today you're a grandmaster. You've taken over that program. Um, I think what you and I both do is a great testimony to the program and where we are today. Um, As I mentioned that you've taken over that program, you're a grandmaster today. Um, I've taken the direction of outreach um, for martial arts. And I'm sure, Susan, in your career as a martial artist, you've faced many martial art obstacles over the years. Um, Is there Mm -hmm. any one particular obstacle that you feel was, you know, really quite big, but something that you were able to overcome because of your training? Yeah, I think the, the biggest one is when Michael passed away. Mm-hmm. And Wait, I, why don't you um, take a moment and tell everybody um, who Michael is and, and talk a little bit about him so okay. they have some context. Michael Kinney um, started Kinney Karate in 1969, and we are our own system. We are a registered system. And um, 
he always felt that the martial arts should be available to everybody, not just a certain group. And the time when he was training martial arts, they were, they were, the studios were all men or all adults. And Michael felt that everybody should learn the martial art. And he was a great uh, mentor to me. Uh, he, when he was coming up the ranks, he trained with Chuck Norris and Bill Wallace. And I can go on and on about all the people he, um, that he worked out with. Uh, so one of the big obstacles for me was when I was promoted to uh, Grandmaster is I didn't feel I was ready. And mm -hmm. I was concerned when I went to seminars of being accepted by the boys club, so to speak. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, you know, I had the tools. Michael had given me the tools and the focus to carry on the program. So um, when did you take over that program? And it, it's a big program. Um, we're, in so. five, yeah, we're in five centers in St. Petersburg. And right, then, and that's in Florida. Right, and then we mm -hmm. just opened up a dojo. Okay, well, congratulations. So, wow. Yeah, and it's, it's a lot for, you know, black belt training and having smaller classes because our classes in the centers tend to be between 20 and 30 students at a time. Right. Well, uh, that's amazing. Um, and I always loved the program. I uh, trained all the way through my second degree black belt in that program, um, which is the highest rank that I have because I never was able to complete, you know, a further rank after moving and such. And I tried training with you a couple of times, but then I ended up moving to Tucson. And, right. <laughs> and so I just, you know, unfortunately never was able because it's a unique program. It's not something I can, you know, train in other places. But it, it gave me the basis of who I am today and the martial arts that I do practice. And my husband and I taught a, the very similar program through all our years of teaching. Too. Yeah, I think Michael um, <laughs> affected a lot of people. Yes. He, and one of the reasons was because of his, of our kinney karate system. Because we do Tong Sudo, we do jujitsu, mm -hmm. we do Aikido, we do our niece. It's right. a nice blend of, of all the arts. Um, and probably we were one of the first mixed martial art programs. Right. Jane, back to you. What are the most important tenets of martial arts? What are the most important ones to you? But I think the one that really stands out for me is integrity. Mm -hmm. um, you have to be honest with everybody and people have to trust you. So <clears throat> when you're teaching, uh, your students have to be able to rely on you to teach them the proper way and to show them uh, that you're the role model for them so that they know that integrity is something that they have to strive mm -hmm for and to always live by and they have to trust you as an instructor so that you know that they don't want to get hurt and stuff during training so if if you don't have that integrity and that trust with your students then they're not going to want to train with you then they want to go somewhere else you so you want to make sure that you're 
the best role model that you can be and to show them that honesty is mm -hmm. always the best policy um, and, uh, and to trust you in everything that you do. But also perseverance is yeah. another one. You got to show them that they got to keep going in life just because something, you know, has put maybe a roadblock in their personal life or at work or whatever, that they still need to keep training because it's what's going to keep pushing them forward in their personal life and in their work, you know, yes. their work life, yeah. you know, and, and just in life in general, they just got to keep moving forward. So those two together, I think is the most important out of all the tenets. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with you. Perseverance has always been a very important one for me because that's something that you can use. You obviously use it in your martial art training because you have to do that to get, you know, promoted and get through rank um, or to improve. And then you also need it in life because, you know, life's going to throw you a bunch of situations that you're not sure how to handle uh, and you need to push through. Well, absolutely. So. Absolutely. And, and, you know, with me, I've been on and off for over 20 years. So, you know, when life got in the mm -hmm. way for me and I was able to jump back into it, well, then I just kept going, you know, it was something that I've always strived to do. And, uh, so, you know, it's with anything, it doesn't have to be martial arts, just anything in your life. If, if you don't have the drive and, and the perseverance to keep going, then you're just going to stop and be stagnant. And that's not good for anybody. Right. Great points, Jane. Thank you. Uh, Debbie, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Okay. What we're going to talk a little bit about misconceptions about women who train in the arts. I know I've, you know, definitely heard and seen a lot of funny things or interesting things over time. Um, but what do you think some of the misconceptions are about women in, in martial arts? So um, these, obviously, because we are women in martial arts, we can only really um, kind of perceive what mm -hmm. we think uh, are the misconceptions, but I'll do my best here. So uh, once again, I kind of have a two-part answer. Um, the first part I want to talk about really, I think, comes from like men we train with. And unfortunately, and this does not speak for all men that I've trained with, but um, mostly men that I don't know where like I'll meet at international um, or if they come to train at our dojo, they'll treat me as if I'm delicate mm -hmm. or they'll treat me as if like um, I don't really uh, I'm not as powerful or as, um, uh, you know, fluent in my training as uh, an person of different gender would be. So let's say they're lining up to be a partner with me. Of course, before COVID, because now we're not doing partner training, but um, let's say go easy on me or be gentle. And then once they realize the ability that I have, they'll, you know, say something to me like, oh, I, I you know, didn't realize that you could do mm -hmm. this. And it's one of those things where um, it's a little disappointing because, um, you know, a man, would they say that to me? You know, so it's almost yeah. like they, they think like, oh, you're good for a girl kind of thing. And I think that's um, where times we're undervalued or um, our techniques aren't seen as effective or as um, technically strong as our male counterparts. And I think that is a huge misconception. Um, generally smaller 
Mm-hmm. Our techniques are, I would generally much sharper because we have to be, um, yeah. because we don't have that brute, brute strength. We have to rely on our technique to be precise right. and to be correct. And, and I think that, um, that's a big misconception uh, that I would say men have. And it, of course I'm speaking in generalities, not right. all men feel right. this way, right. but, um, you know, I, I do feel, uh, that way in, in my personal experience where, and again, I'm very small, I'm five foot one, uh, barely 115 pounds. So I'm not a big person. Yeah. Um, but when people, uh, train with me, they're very surprised at the, the power that I can create. But again, if they meet a man who's five, two, five, three, they wouldn't say that to a man. So it's, it's, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forget which uh, woman said this on our podcast today, but it's, it's, um, you know, they, they almost expect us to, they're just surprised at, at what we can, can do. Yeah. And I think even surprise ourselves. Right. <laughs> so, uh, but it's yeah. that, um, conception that we have to go in and, and we don't have to make mistakes. And, um, but I, I think that, uh, the, 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 one of the things that frustrates me is that we're not treated as equals and we're not, we're not, um, you know, we should be, we're, we're different. Like we have to do differently, but I would say we're just as effective. Right. Uh, and the other thing I would say this conception, maybe from other women is that kind of, um, I feel like, I, so uh, in my um, competitive career, I'm one of the older women. I'm 36. So a lot of my teammates are younger than I am, starting at like 22, 23 through uh, just about my age. And I feel like uh, perhaps one of the misconceptions is once you get married and have kids, like your competition career is over. Mm-hmm. And that's not true at all. Um, base, my best tournament I ever had was when I was six months postpartum with my most recent son. So um, it was, he's now almost two. And when I was six, when he was six months old, I went back and to my first tournament and um, I actually won. I won the Kumite and I got a uh, second, pl- or yeah, second place in Kata. So it is possible, um, you know, just keep training and, and, you know, you have to have a really good support system. Like you had mentioned before, my husband also trains, so he supports me, and um, my my mentor at my club, my instructor supports me. You know, mm-hmm. we started training seven weeks after I had a cesarean section. So, um, but he's also a physician, so yeah, <laughs> he knew he knew what I could and couldn't do. Right. But um, you know, I think a, a really good support system helps with that. Um, but that that would be my long winded answer. No. But those what I think are my the misconceptions I think from mm-hmm. both gen. I think that's, that's interesting. And I, the other interesting point of course, is that your husband trains my husband, yeah. my husband and I also train together and talk together and uh, it does, it does make a difference in how you're supported. There are many martial art women whose spouses do not train um, and do not always understand the importance yeah. of the, the continuation of training after having children or raising a family or during raising a family. So that is kind of a unique dynamic. Um, however, I am finding that a lot of martial art women are married to martial artists as I go through this. So that's been kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thank you, Debbie. Um, Emily, we're going to talk a little bit about personal empowerment and it's just a, a very basic question, but um, you know, empowerment comes in a lot of different forms. How does, how do martial arts empower you? 
you know, it's funny. It is a simple question, yet I think it can be such a deep thinking process to come to your conclusion on that. Um, Mm -hmm. For me, it's empowered me physically. When I started, I was having blood pressure problems for the first time in my life. I'd always had low blood pressure and I refused to accept that I was going to have to take medicine for it and so forth. And, um, you know, so I started doing martial arts and got off the medicine rather quickly, quadrupled my bone density within two years. I, I grew up with um, a narcissist in the family, and I won't name names because, mm-hmm. you know, we're still trying to have a relationship. But I found myself trying to become that person because that was my normal. And, you know, as I got older and realized that wasn't really healthy, yeah. um, but didn't know anything different. Martial arts just kind of changed my mindset that it's okay to get hurt and say it hurt, but then it's also okay to stand up and put your big girl panties on and say, but that's okay. I I can handle this. I can go on. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can, you just learn to do that physically and emotionally through martial arts that, you know, you just focus and find your way through things. Um, And I think if you get in the right school, and I know there are some schools that aren't this way, but you know, I was blessed to get into a school that it, it is a family and we support each other. And, um, you know, it just helped me become more in control of who I want to be, what my destiny is, right. um, and, and physically as well. And then for me, self-defense is, is key for me. That's, that's my passion in all of this. Um, so, you know, it's taught me to, to carry myself in a different manner to protect myself. And then I, I teach self-defense to a lot of young girls um, and boys. A lot of them seem to think they don't need it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I teach, I do a lot of classes for young girls in high school, middle school, girls going off to college, um, different church groups. And, and to me, I take an empowerment from knowing I've helped empower them as well. Yeah. You know, I just yeah. think, I think that's what we do. We just help each other as women and, and members of the community. And, um, you know, it's just really changed my outlook for myself and my family. I see that I'm valuable as a person and that, you know, that just makes you feel more empowered and better about yourself. Great. All right. Wonderful answers and wonderful description of empowerment in your own life. And uh, I think it's always important for us to reflect on what empowers us. So, Susan, um, we're going to end our series of questions with you, um, but I will go back to everyone at the end of this to um, ask them to talk a little bit or give the name of their school and that kind of thing. But, Susan, how did you end up choosing uh, Kinney Karate all those years ago back in the 1980s? And then just expand a little bit on what you love about the program and about what you do. I originally started because we, my son was uh, six years old at the time and had ADD. And we had heard from um, a lot of counselors that Kinney Karate had a great program that worked through positive reinforcement to help the kids deal with their ADD and other ailments that they may, may have had. So I was weightlifting and doing cardio and aerobics and all that um, at the time. And I watched him for about six months. And I'm like, yeah, I think I need to, to do this. Okay. Um, I was doing commercial interior design at the time, and I was going to job sites and office buildings uh, where I 
didn't know the people. And about the same time, a realtor was brutally beaten in the area. And at the same time, Michael Kinney was offering the art of escape class for people who were not martial artists. So I went to that and loved it. Uh, I love Emily. Also, I love uh, self-defense and jujitsu and all that. Uh, so I decided to join the class and I was going to jump in for a month and I did it for about two weeks and that was it. I was, I was hooked. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh. uh, um, and what year uh, was that? What year was that? 1980, 1988, 88. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was 38 years old. So I yeah. know, did it later. Um, but I found that the Kinney Karate system offered me such a variety of the different arts. And there was always something new to learn. There was every, everyone, you know, challenged each other. Um, and I just fell in love with it. Yeah. So I, and over the years, we would train with people like, you know, Wally J and Remy Priestess and um, because Michael had known everybody, we, Michael would bring them into the, uh, the studio. I, you probably remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Just I do. Seeing some of the, the people we had in and um, you know, here I am 31 years later, still in love with the arts, right? <laughs> <laughs> still practicing. Um, you know, oh, good. carrying yeah, on I mean, Michael's uh, legacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, I think a lot of women stay with the arts longer than we realize. Uh, the, the problem usually comes in when they have children and find it difficult to get back to it. Um, but I think once you try it and, and find the right thing for you, the right style or whatever it might be, that it, it does become a lifestyle. And um, those are great points and very interesting. And, you know, certainly miss Michael Kinney and, and uh, all of the things that he taught over the years and, and all of the people I worked with at, at Kinney Karate. So um, grateful that you and I have been able to um, reconnect in these past few years. Yeah, that has that's been great. Yeah. And, and uh, we find that a lot of our, the black belts who were kids, at the time, mm -hmm. and now have children of their own, they'll, they, they'll bring their kids to me and go, okay, Miss Susan, here, take, yeah. do what you need to do. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, yeah. You, know you, you straighten me up. Right. You know? and, and that's one of the things that keeps me going is that I do have students come back and say, oh boy, you know, I'm so glad you made me stay with it. And, you know, it really helped me. And then on the other end, you get students coming back and saying, you know, I wish, I wish I had stayed with it. But yeah. when I was in high, middle school or high school, I was too cool for karate. Right. And once I got out of uh, going to class and being in a routine, uh, I fell in with the wrong group. And, you know, I hear that story time after time. Uh, yeah. But again, I also hear the other stories where, oh, wow, thank you. You know, it really helped me. And when I went to college, uh, I continued with the martial arts or, you know, even how it affects them to this day. Yeah. 
of, yeah. you know, their outlook look, of being empowered and the self-discipline and the focus in their lives. Yeah, very so true. Very I think, true. I think that's what keeps a lot of us going in it, you mm-hmm. know, to continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's the impact. Um, no matter what martial art you practice or, you know, for instance, what I try to do is, is really just to motivate and inspire others to to learn martial arts and to use them uh, in their lives. So great points. Thank you, Susan. You're welcome. So we've gotten through all of our questions. Amazingly, we've had a few technical difficulties, but um, we are <laughs> managing it. Um, what I just like to do is um, I will uh, ask each of you just to mention maybe the name of your school. And, um, and if you send me the links to your school, I'll post that when I post the podcast. So Jane, do you want to tell us what uh, school you're currently practicing and teaching? Well, um, it's not really a school as it is our Reme. It's American Martial Arts okay. Reme. It's our nonprofit organization. Um, uh, but we do train and stuff. Uh, and uh, the style is uh, Kenway Ocean Ru Fujitsu Reme. And um, it's various styles where I hybrid. Mm-hmm. So um, what we try and do is we try to touch on a compass on various martial arts. And I do have a Yaido student right now uh, that my grandmaster and I are, are currently training. Um, and I also just, uh, well, probably in November, I believe it was, um, an old Taekwondo student of mine uh, needed to earn his black belt, and I was able to give him his first mm-hmm. on. Oh, that's uh, neat. Yeah, so he's now with our organization. And... Um, so far, right now, we're just going around trying to boost schools and trying to get them going. I went to the Nashville Aikikai uh, not long ago and um, did a big interview with them, and we did demonstrations and whatnot. And uh, I was able to get them some uh, some students. So they had 12 uh, new students not long after we did the interview. So that's basically where I'm at right now. I just keep training and help others and so, uh, and teach when we can. Great. Thanks, Jane. Um, yes, I have Shining Spirit Warrior, and we're martial arts and self-defense. So I do self-defense seminars as well as Taekwondo classes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But we're also kind of a hybrid Master Gambrel that I learned from um, when it came to self-defense. He taught us various styles. Um, so I've incorporated that as well. Okay. Um, So I'm small and new and growing slowly, which is kind of perfect since I still have a son in sports, but, um, you know, we're, we're, we're growing, we're working on it. (laughs) Okay. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, I'm not sure if I mentioned before, our club is located out of Baltimore, Maryland on the East coast. Um, and we have, um, a very active club. So my head instructor is, um, Sensei Najib Amin, and he's actually 88. Um, he's been training, I believe, since um, the 1960s. And um, he started training with um, Teruyuki Okazaki, who is um, the instructor who is responsible for spreading Shotokan karate in the United States. From uh, He originally trained in Japan um, under Nakayama Sensei. Um, and so my instructor is a direct student of him. 
And then my mentor is uh, Dr. Fridamine, who is my sensei's son, and he is 61. And so our club is, um, like I said, really active. We have probably more adults right now than children, um, but we are a nonprofit organization. And we really, our goal is to kind of promote character through our training. So, um, you know, everyone who walks through our door, it's a very welcoming space. And um, we just do our best to make everybody feel welcome and to have them keep training. And I'd say that um, our instructors are not only good, uh, obviously excellent karate technicians, but they're just very, very good people. And, um, you know, I think that's what's most important to them is like good character and really just spreading a welcoming feeling. And I think that's unique about our dojo where you come to our dojo to train really hard, but you also, like um, we're all saying, you get that family sort of feeling. Mm -hmm. And everyone's always welcome at any time. And um, I think that's what's really unique and special about our, our club. Great. Thank you. Um, and Susan, if you want to just um, mention the program again. and Okay. Uh, we are located. We are Kenny Karate in St. Petersburg, Florida. And we are, we do um, classes at the St. Petersburg Recreation Centers. Right now we're in five centers. And then we just opened up a dojo. Uh, we do um, the Tongsu Do, Jiu Jitsu, Aikido, and our knees stick fighting. And this year in October, we will be celebrating 51 years as a martial arts school. Thank you, Susan. Well, everyone, this brings us to the conclusion, really, of our interviews today. I want to thank each one of you for sharing your experiences and all of the information, because uh, part of my mission is really just to spread po positive martial art messages through um, social media, through the podcasting, blogs, and whatever, um, because I think martial arts are important to life, and especially in the world we live in today, we need uh, martial arts and we need what martial arts teach. So hopefully more people will give it a try. And if not, at least they understand more about martial arts. So thank you everyone and have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank Andrea. you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. And thank you, Andrea, for putting a positive spin on everything with, uh, you know, with your contribution in the martial arts, your positive books, your positive inspiration, uh, it's uh, it's phenomenal, and I appreciate you. Yes, very definitely. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. We'll talk soon. Bye. 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 Bye.